Amen. Okay. Um, I was going to start with something, and it's not going to work out because the people are not here that I was in <laughs> interested in. All right. So um, what did we study last week? First and second Samuel, and today? First and second Kings. Oh, wow, it's easy. It's right up there. <laughs> All right, first and second Kings. All right, first and second Kings, we're going to cover about 400 years of history, about 40 kings, uh, a few big-name prophets, and we're going to do all this in about 45 minutes. So it's going <laughs> I think I might have to leave a little bit out. <laughs> but before we start, why don't uh, some of you tell me what are your favorite stories in First and Second Kings, or what are some main events in the book that, that you can remember? Okay, you stole some of my thunder there. But this week we're going to look at his evil, and next week we're going to do First and Second Chronicles, and we'll look at that conversion that you're talking about. So that's great. That's great. Who else? Ah, Solomon and his wisdom. That's a good one. I like it. Anybody else? First and second king. It's a little hard, you know, to think about what's in the what's in these books. Because there's like a hundred little stories. Uh, anybody remember any big name prophets in these books? Nathan. Nathan's in there. Yeah. All right, maybe we should just get started, and we'll, we'll find out who those big-name prophets are. <laughs> you, all, you all know them, but uh, we'll get going. Okay, so we're doing, here's a little roadmap of where we're headed today, and uh, we're going to look at the authorship of the book. I'm going to call it a book because, really, it, it's one book, but it couldn't fit on one scroll, so they put it on two scrolls, and it wound up being First and Second Kings. All right. We'll look at the authorship of Kings, we'll look at the date, uh, we'll look at the main theme of the book, the purpose of the book, we'll look at an outline, uh, some of the key or important dates, then we'll have some commentary, and then at the end we'll look at Jesus in the book of Kings. So that's where we are. All right, um, now we have more people here, I want to interrupt and uh, just ask a question to everyone here. And I'm looking for a whole group response, all right? Have, ha, have Joel and David been doing a great job in teaching this Sunday school class? <laughs> and uh, this, is what, this has been one of my favorite classes. And uh, 
you know, I've, I've been here every single week. I was even here on Tornado Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been studying the Bible for almost 50 years, and I'm learning new things every single week I come here. So this has been exciting. So thank you to you guys. You've really been doing great. All right. So uh, authorship. Now, we've been looking from time to time how the, the Protestant Old Testament and the Judaism's Bible have the exact same 39 books, and in the originals, the exact same words, word for word identical. However, we can learn something more when we look at Judaism's Bible when it comes to authorship because they collect the books differently. In the Protestant Old Testament, you'll see that the, the books are grouped into four, uh, four uh, groupings, the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophets. But when you look at the Jewish Bible, it's, it's collected into three groupings, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the prophets, they break it into former and latter prophets. And in the former prophets, these are the books we're interested in. Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings. And from this, we learn that the author, which is unnamed, is at least we know he's a prophet, all right? So a prophet is written, all these books here, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. Okay, so Kings was written by a prophet. When was Kings written? Well, we can go to the very end of the book, 2nd uh, Kings, uh, chapter 25 is the last chapter, and the last paragraph of the book tells us that uh, Jehoiakim was released from prison in the 37th year of his captivity. And, um, and he was exiled in 597 B.C., so you take away the 37, you come up with 560 B.C., so the book ends at 560 B.C., so the book would have been written after that date. So Kings was written after 560 B.C. by an unknown prophet to the exiles that were there in Babylon. Now we look at the theme of the book. The theme, idolatry. This is what it's like to read First and Second Kings. Idolatry, 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 idols, 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 idolatry, and it just goes on and on and on like that. And so uh, I, I guess I made my point. <laughs> the theme is idolatry. Very good, very good. All right, and the purpose of the book. So Kings is going to continue now uh, the history that was given in First and Second Samuel. And it begins with the death of David and ends with the exile to Babylon. So that's the time period there. The book was written during the exile in Babylon to explain the cause of the exile. So everybody has been, is devastated. They've been banished from the promised land. They're in exile in Babylon. And the question is, why are we here? Why did God do this to us? And so the book is there to explain why the exile. So beginning with the end of Solomon's reign, the, the people turned away from God to idols. And idolatry was the cause of Israel's fall to Assyria 
and it was the cause of Judah's fall to Babylon. And so idolatry is the reason for God's, there it is, God's punishment. The exile was God's punishment for idolatry. Now, despite all of this punishment, where we are left at the very last paragraph of the book with just a little sliver of hope, a little sliver of hope. And, and what's happening is Jehoiakim, who was the last king in the line of David that would lead to the Messiah, he is released from prison, allowing the line to the Messiah to continue. And so it just gives a little opening uh, of hope there at the end of the book. So we'll look at an outline for First and Second Kings. I'm going to look at the Roman numerals here first. So we have the United Kingdom under Solomon. Then we have the divided kingdoms of Judah and Israel, and then the remaining kingdom of Judah. And then when we look at the alphabet... There, we have the establishment of Solomon as king, the rise of Solomon as king, and the decline of Solomon as king. And then in the center, Solomon's request for wisdom, the administration of Solomon's kingdom, and the building of the temple. So that's a, a basic outline for the books. And you see that Solomon there just overshadows all, he just towers above all the rest of the king's and so a lot of space is given to Solomon, and then less space after that to the other uh, kings. Some important dates in First and Second Kings. So Kings covers a period of about 400 years. It goes from 971 B.C. to 560 B.C., just a little bit over 400 years. So in 971 B.C., Solomon uh, becomes king. He reigns 40 years. And then in 931 B.C., we have the division of the kingdom into Judah and Israel. So we're going to have uh, the kingdom of Israel, the ten northern tribes, and the kingdom of Judah, the two southern tribes. In uh, 722 B.C., we have the fall of Israel, the northern ten tribes, to Assyria. So they're taken off into exile to Assyria. And then we, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made three major attempts to take the city of Jerusalem. The first was in 605 B.C., and he, took, uh, he failed to take the city, but he took a lot of people captive, like Daniel and his friends and many others. And that's when the exile begins, in the year 605. And then 70 years later, the exile ends, 535. What happens then? We have the first return of the Jews under Zerubbabel. Then in 597 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar tried to take the city again. He failed, but again, he took away a lot of captives. And he took Ezekiel and Jehoiakim in 597, and uh, it'll even tell us there were over 10,000 uh, people taken into exile. And then finally in 586 B.C., we have the fall of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of everything, and whoever's left was taken off into captivity. So those are some important dates. So now we'll look at uh, some of the commentary that we have here. And I'm going to cheat because I have some notes here that I'm going to need because <laughs> I can't remember all this stuff. So the United Kingdom under Solomon is the first section. 
And the first thing we have is uh, the establishment of Solomon as king. Now David had made a promise to Bathsheba that Solomon would be king after him. And uh, we, the book opens up with David in his last days. He will soon die, and the, king will, the, the kingdom will be passed on to a new king. And uh, another one of David's sons, Adonijah, uh, he conspires with Joab, the general of, of David's army, and with Abiathar, the high priest, and he tries to usurp the throne. But Nathan, Nathan the prophet, discovers what's going on, and, and so he acts really, really fast, and so Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, uh, they go and talk with David, and David says, oh no, it's not going to be Adonijah, it's Solomon. And he acts really, really quickly, and, and now Solomon is this, uh, inserted or installed as, as king to follow uh, David. And uh, David gives a dying <laughs> on his deathbed. He gives some advice to, to Solomon, and Solomon carries out his advice, and his advice was to execute Adonijah for trying to usurp the throne, execute Joab for various crimes he had done, and, and Solomon also removed Abiathar from the high priest and installed a new high priest. And so with this, uh, these actions, Solomon gained firm control of the kingdom. And, and now we're off and running. Okay? And God comes to Solomon at, in a dream at night, and he says, ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And, and, and so, uh, so Solomon, as a, I mean, even God was surprised, humanly speaking. He asked for wisdom. And, and God was so pleased that he asked for wisdom to rule the nation because it was just, the job is way too hard. And God not only gave him a, a wisdom beyond what anyone else has ever received in history, except Jesus, of course, he, he uh, also gave him riches beyond imagination and honor. And, and so Solomon requested wisdom. And this uh, wisdom was put to the test right away. It was put to the test right away in the situation where you have these uh, two women claiming to be the mother of a baby and they're fighting, uh, no, it's my baby, no, it's my baby, and, and no one could figure out what to do. There's no witnesses, there's no history. They, were the, they each had a birth, and they happened at the same time, and, no one, and one died and one lived, and they were both claiming the living baby is mine, and no one could figure it out. And, and so uh, with the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, Solomon wanted to reveal the true mother and expose the lying mother. So who's telling the truth and who's lying? So he had this brilliant plan. You all know the story. <laughs> okay, we'll cut this baby in half and I'll give you each half. <laughs> and so the one mother says, no, 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 don't do that. Just give it to her. Just give it to her. And that revealed her as the true mother. 
and the other said, oh, no problem, just cut it in half, it sounds fair, we each get half and not expose her as the liar. <laughs> no real mother would say something like that. All right, so, and this, his wisdom, it just like, it was just, it blew everyone away. And, and the whole world heard about that wisdom, and here we are now, how long, uh, 3,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. It was just so astounding this uh, ruling that Solomon gave. No one else could have uh, thought of that, right? So then Solomon goes on to build the temple. So you remember, we looked last week, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 13 and 14, called God's Covenant with David. And in that covenant, uh, David, remember, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, but I'm going to build a house for you, and so on. And then he said, but your son will be the one to build the temple. And so Solomon now is going to build the temple in fulfillment of that prom promise that God had made. We'll, we'll look more about that later. But, okay, so we're told that Solomon began to build the temple in the fourth year of his reign. We're told it's 480 years after they came out of Egypt. And we looked at that earlier in some of the earlier classes. All right, so, um, so this building of the temple was probably the most important event in the entire, you know, first and second kings and, and maybe many other books included. So, um, so remember, the, this temple now is going to replace what? The tabernacle. So the tabernacle was not a fit uh, symbol of God's giving people rest because the tabernacle is a, a tent that's, that moves. It keeps moving. And so you have to keep on moving. But now the temple is in a permanent place. It's a good symbol that God has now given the nation of Israel rest. And not only that, but what were, if we think about the promises that God made to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, I'm going to really bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And all of that is coming to fulfillment as a first fulfillment, as many prophecies have double fulfillments, a first fulfillment in the days of Solomon. Now the nation has become a great nation. Now they have conquered the entire boundaries of the promised land, and, and Solomon is reigning over those boundaries. And, uh, and, okay, and now we have the temple there in Jerusalem. So you have the, the temple of God in Jerusalem. You have the throne of God in Jerusalem. And, you know, and all the people are amazingly blessed during Solomon's reign, and not only the people of Israel, but all the surrounding nations are blessed through uh, Solomon's reign. So God is fulfilling all of those great things when Solomon builds the temple. All right. So then uh, when the temple is completed, Solomon brings in the Ark of the Covenant and puts it in uh, the Holy of Holies of the temple. And the glory of God fills the temple. And we have Solomon's prayer of dedication. 
and, and it, it's just a glorious and wonderful time. Then we talked about how Solomon's wisdom was spread all around the, the, the ancient world and kings and queens were coming from far and near to listen to Solomon's wisdom and one of them was the Queen of Sheba and it gives a, almost a whole chapter for her visit and she's just blown away with the wisdom that Solomon has. She, she just can't believe how organized his kingdom is. She cannot believe how happy all the servants are. This is just so amazing. I wish it was like that in my country, you know. And uh, she's just blown away by all of this. And it's just another example uh, of Solomon's wisdom. And we're at this point and we're saying, it just doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> this is so amazing. This is so great. And what do we read in the next chapter? <laughs> Solomon's downfall. Now everything comes crashing down. So we'll look at uh, his wives, his idolatry, and his punishment. And so I'm going to ask everybody to get out your Bibles. From here on, we're going to be reading several passages. And the first one we read is going to be 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 13. It's a little bit long, and some of them are going to be long. But uh, we're just going to get a taste for, uh, for all this. So, so who would like to read for us? Somebody. Thank you, Eddie. All right, so we see here that Solomon, uh, he's got in total a thousand wives. And many of those wives are from foreign countries. 
And in those foreign countries, his wives all practice idolatry. They worship false gods. And now that Solomon is old, he is getting he weakened in his resolve to follow God like David did. And his wives turned his heart away from God to, to uh, the practice of idolatry. He was even building uh, temples for the foreign gods right there in Jerusalem. And uh, this was something that really, really angered God. And, and so, um, so God pronounced his judgment, and his judgment would be that, that God was going to take a lot of the kingdom away. The, the kingdom would pass on to his son. His son was Rehoboam. But God would take away 10 of the tribes and give it to someone else, and Sol uh, Solomon's son would just be left with uh, two tribes called the kingdom of Judah. So we come to the division of the kingdom. So when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king, and the northern tribes uh, rejected Rehoboam. There was a foolish decision. You probably are well aware of that. And because of his foolish decision, the 10 tribes in the north said, we reject you as our king, and we're going to appoint another person as our king. And they appointed someone named Jeroboam. Sometimes it's hard to keep them separate. Rehoboam, Solomon's son in the south. Jeroboam, someone else reigning in the north. All right. So, um, so Kings, the book of Kings is going to pay a lot more attention to the northern kingdom of Israel. When we get to Chronicles, it's going to spend all of its attention on the southern kingdom of Judah. So we'll see that one next week. So, uh, so we're going to look first at Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is, is introduced to us as the, the king of the, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, ten tribes. And when he becomes king, he, he's got a plan. If, if I don't watch out, everybody's going to go down to Jerusalem for their festivals and feasts. And they're all going to say, you know, why should we want to join back together again? So he has a plan to stop that from happening. We're going to read about it in a second. And uh, so he saw the temple in Jerusalem as a threat to his kingdom. And so Jeroboam decided, I'm going to make uh, two golden calves. I'm going to set up two temples here in the north, one in Bethel, one in Dan, so that the people in the northern kingdom can go and worship there at Bethel and Dan. And they don't have to go down to Jerusalem. It's too far anyway. It's just, let's make it easier. You can just stay right here and worship here. And he sets up the one golden calf in Bethel, and he sets one up in Dan. And he introduces these golden calves with the exact identical words that Aaron spoke to the people of Israel when he made the golden calf. And he said, Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So let's read about that. And we're going to find that in 
chapter 12, verses 26 to 33. Who would like to read that one? Thank you. So as we go through the book of Kings, we're going to see that the author is evaluating every single king. There were about 20 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel and about 20 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And after talking about their reign, the author is going to give an evaluation of every single king. And here we have uh, Jeroboam. He sets up these two calves. Uh, in other words, this practice of idolatry is at the center of their worship. They've abandoned the feast days. He's made up his own feast day out of his own imagination. Here's the day we're going to celebrate. And he's uh, kicked out all the Levites. And so they don't have any, like, Levitical priests. And now he's making priests from people from all walks of life, all different other tribes. And, and he's just doing everything wrong. And, and, and Jeroboam is going to be set up as the standard upon which every king of the kingdom of Israel is going to be judged. And what we're going to and what you'll see... You'll have to do this on your own because we don't have time to look at all these. But after every single king will come, the, they will be condemned for continuing the worship of these golden calves at Bethel and Dan. Every single king, at, when the, the author evaluates them, it says they did the same as Jeroboam. They continued this idolatry and they are condemned for what they have done. And this is going to continue all the way to the very last king. And when the very last king is there, we're going to see that they are exiled because they followed the sin of Jeroboam all the way to the end. No one got rid of those golden calves. They stayed there for all 20 kings. And every one of those 20 kings was condemned for keeping those golden calves there. And 
but in the, in the case of the kings of Judah, they're also going to all be evaluated, and they're going to be evaluated based on the model of David. David is the ideal king. He, we don't see him anywhere worshiping idols or going after idols. He is 100% focused on the one true and living God. Everything you find, is, that's why God says, David is a man after my own heart. David wholly worshiped only one God, the true God, and all the kings of Judah now are going to be uh, judged based on how they compare or contrast with David, the ideal king. And we're going to see that 12 of the kings, they were all condemned as, well, scolded, whatever you want to call it. They were all evaluated as bad kings because they established idolatry and it overflowed. But there were eight kings that were evaluated as good kings because they would suppress idolatry. So either promoting idolatry or suppressing idolatry was the main criteria for whether someone was evaluated as good or bad. And eight of these kings were involved with suppressing idolatry. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. But even with these eight kings, none of them really measured up to David. They were, they were, they were even falling short of David. They did try to suppress idolatry a lot, but then it, it, just, kept, it just kept coming back. It, just, it never ended. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And no matter how much they try to suppress it, it would just keep popping up. And uh, so none of them really uh, fully measured up to David, but they were evaluated as, as good because they tried, I don't know, they approximated what, what David had done, what, what David was, a man that worshiped only the one true and living God and didn't get involved with idolatry. Some of the differences between uh, Israel and Judah. So we saw that Israel began in, in the sin of idolatry and it continued in the sin of idolatry all the way until Assyria came and took Israel away. But there were three things that helped Judah to remain more faithful to God. So th what three things? Okay, one, they had the temple. All right, And the temple uh, inspired them to worship the true God. And also in Judah, even though there were a lot of wicked kings that would introduce idolatry, um, they were normally followed by a good king that suppressed the idolatry that they had introduced. And so that would help to slow the spread of idolatry or whatever. And then, uh, for the most part, the evil kings, they had a short reign, um, and they were followed by good kings that had long reigns. And so, because of that, Judah was more faithful than Israel. They had uh, more worship of the true God than, than the nation of the kingdom of Israel. And then we come to Israel's worst 
king ever, <laughs> all right? King Ahab and the story of Ahab and Jezebel. Okay, so Ahab married Jezebel. She was a wicked woman from a foreign country, and Jezebel worshipped the idol or the false god Baal. And she supported 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of, it says Asherah or Asherah, I don't know how you say it, and I don't even know what it is, but it's some kind of idolatry, and Jezebel was feeding 850 people at her table every day, so they must have had a pretty big table. And, uh, and, and so Jezebel has got these 850 false prophets at the heart of the country in the king's palace eating there every day. And Ahab and Jezebel were a very bad uh, combination. So Jezebel not only had all these false prophets, but she also spent great efforts to eliminate all the true prophets. So she tried to kill off all the true prophets and even at all the true worshipers, all the worshipers of the true God. She tried to kill them too. And we find out later that there were actually only 7,000 that did not bow the knee to Baal. So in the whole kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes, there's, I don't know, a million people or more, and only 7,000 were worshiping the true God. So it was very, a very, very uh, difficult time for anybody that was a believer. So the two big prophets are Elijah and Elisha. All right. So now we remember who they were. All right. So Elijah is there. So Elijah was a prophet. Okay. So Elijah was a prophet, and he was given the power to perform uh, lots of miracles because Israel was being threatened by Baal worship. If nothing stops this, it will go on and take over the whole nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes. And so even though God gave many proofs that he is the true and living God and that Baal is a powerless idol. All right, and it's all, so Elijah was a prophet of judgment and he was calling the people to repentance and we have the famous contest between Elijah and these false prophets on Mount Carmel, which we're going to read about. And... Uh, and it ended up uh, pulling the country back from the brink of disaster, of uh, getting overrun with Baal worship. So we'll see that in this. In, let's take a look at that. First Kings 18, we're going to look at two passages there, 17 to 21 and 36 to 40. Someone can just read them both. Okay, David. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of, of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, 
850 false prophets slaughtered in an instant. <laughs> and with all those false prophets slaughtered, now the, the worship of Baal uh, has been, uh, it's been broken. All right. And so the nation is acknowledging right there that, that Jehovah is God and not Baal. And, and that was uh, Elijah's job. Yes. Through thy name and mountains, they slaughtered all those all those prophets of Baal. It was uh, Megiddo, and it was specifically R Megiddo. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. Which is translated in the New Testament as Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. The battle of Armageddon, the battle of R Megiddo. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay. See, even when I'm teaching, I'm learning so many things. This is great. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. That that's awesome. All right. So um, I'm trying to find my place here. Yeah, so, so we're back now to uh, moving on to Elisha. All right. Um, I see I got my notes all mixed up here. All right, Elisha. So Elisha was a prophet of mercy and... He performed many miracles as well. And let's read about Elisha, 2 Kings 2, 8 through 14. This is going to be about both Elijah and Elisha. Yes, uh, someone read uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. 
Thank you. So um, we're going to look a little more later at Elijah and Elisha. But here they are. They were prophets that performed lots and lots of miracles. And what did Elisha got a double portion of the Holy Spirit we saw there because he saw Elijah carried up into heaven. And it, if you look at all the miracles, Elisha actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah. So that was interesting. All right, and, and so through these two prophets, Baal worship was removed, but the people of Israel continued in the sin of Jeroboam until 722. And in 722, Assyria came and took Israel away because of all their idolatry. So now we're going to look at chapter, let's read chapter 17, 7 to 23. I know this is a very long passage. But this passage kind of sums up the entire 200-year history of the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's going to be telling everyone this is why God sent Assyria to carry you all away into exile. So anyone want to be bold and take the big, long passage? <laughs> Uh, chapter 17, verses 7 to 23. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Okay, so we, we, I think we saw the idolatry there about every, every verse and every kind of idolatry and every kind of divination and every other evil practice that God had said, don't do that, and this is the reason why they are now in exile in the land of Assyria. So we come to the remaining kingdom of Judah, our final section. And the purpose of these closing chapters of Kings is to show how Judah followed Israel and rejected God as their ruler. Now, God allowed the, the kingdom to continue in Judah. Assyria also surrounded Jerusalem, but because of the, the prayer of Hezekiah, praying to the one true God, saying, please help us and don't allow... Uh, Assyria to conquer us, God performed an amazing miracle. He killed 185,000 soldiers that were attacking, and uh, they left. And so Judah was spared because of Hezekiah's uh, prayer for help. Um, but when Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh became king, and he reigned 55 years, and Manasseh was the most wicked king of Judah. And we'll read a quick one there, 2 Kings 21, 10 to 16.
again, Manasseh has uh, introduced all kinds of idolatry right into Jerusalem, right in front of the temple, building idols to Baal, you know, temples to Baal and everything like that. And uh, God said the same thing that happened to Israel is going to happen to Judah. And uh, so that was Manasseh. We'll get, talk more about Josiah next week. He was a really, really good king. And finally, we have the fall of Judah to Babylon. Again, we saw there was three attempts to take Jerusalem. The third one was successful. Let's read chapter 25, 8 to 11. That'll be our last reading for today, and then we'll look at Jesus in the book. Chapter 25, verses 8 to 11. Anyone, jump right in. Thank you. The walls of Jerusalem knocked down. And in the sermon, we're hearing about the walls of Jerusalem being built back up. And uh, we saw last week and more coming up. Okay, so um, now we want to look at Jesus in the book of Kings. And there are three people that are ex expressly going to portray or foreshadow Jesus, and it's going to be Solomon and then Elijah and Elisha. So Solomon, he is the son of David. He's also referred to as the son of God. God says, I will be his father. He will be my son. He's a king, and the, king, the promise was the king would be an eternal king, reign forever, and he would be a temple builder, and it all foreshadows Jesus. Um, Again, this is a prophecy that has two fulfillments, an immediate one in Solomon, who doesn't really fit all of those categories, but then the ultimate one in Jesus, who fits them all. Jesus is the son of David, the son of God, the eternal king, and he's building a temple not made of stones, but us, people. We are living stones in his temple. All right? And uh, also, certain aspects of Solomon also foreshadow Jesus. So the wisdom of Solomon foreshadows the wisdom of, uh, of Jesus. His riches, all the riches of Christ. Solomon is a king of peace. Jesus is a king of peace. Solomon brings rest. Jesus brings rest. Solomon brings happiness. Jesus brings happiness. And Solomon had, a, had brides from all the nations. Jesus, the bride of Christ, is made up of people from all the nations of the world. And so in all these different ways... Did you have a comment? Oh, okay. In all these different ways, okay. Also, we see that the line that's leading to the Messiah is traced out here from Solomon to Jehoiakim, and it will continue on in later books. Solomon's fame spread to all the nations of the world, just as the fame of Jesus, 
Solomon's fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Jesus' fame spread to all the nations of the world. And similarly, all the, the surrounding nations brought tribute to Solomon. All the nations bring tribute to Jesus. And uh, this really it, it impacted the way I think of my offerings on Sunday morning. Because a lot of times I just say, oh, here's my offerings. They're here to support the work of the church and the pastors and building and all that. But really, I'm bringing tribute to Jesus. I'm bringing my offerings to the king, to King Jesus. And then he uses it uh, as he will. Right? Solomon ruled over the entire promised land. Jesus rules over the whole world and so on. The miracles of Elijah and Elisha foreshadow many of the miracles of Jesus. Elijah raised the widow's son at uh, Zarephath, and Jesus raised the widow's son at Nain. Elijah was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. Jesus was caught up to heaven in the ascension. Uh, I'm going fast because we're out of time. Uh, Elisha received a double portion of the Spirit. Jesus received the fullness of the Spirit. And you can see there are other miracles there that, that foreshadowed the miracles of Jesus. And also Israel being exiled from God's presence and the temple being destroyed foreshadowed Jesus being forsaken by the Father and his death on the cross for our sins. And finally, I don't know if this one's right or not, Jehoiakim's release from prison foreshadowed Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So it went from a hopeless situation, now we have hope. Now we have hope, now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So anyone want to ask a question or add some more comments before we close? 400 years. That's a lot of time. All right, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you that you teach us many things uh, in your word. And we just pray, Lord, as we go into the service today, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we worship you in song and praise, as we hear the word proclaimed to us from the pulpit, and as we bring our offerings to King Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you, everyone. Next week, First and Second Chronicles.